Good evening, everyone. Mike Cisneros here, and this is the Cincy Brewcast, uh, our second episode. I'm joined by uh, the Gnarly Gnome. Good, good evening, Gnome. Good evening. And Tina Cisneros, good evening. Hello. And uh, we have a lot to get to tonight, so we're going to get uh, right to it. Um, first of all, we have our tasting that we call What's in the Beer Fridge, and what do we have today? Gnome, what did you bring us? I brought a howler of uh, Opera Cream Stout from Blank Slate Brewing here in the city. Um, probably my favorite beer that Scott brews down there um, as of right now. And it is, it is fine, fine. I can tell why everybody kind of went crazy over it. We wanted to go over there uh, ourselves and uh, visit on the night that they, uh, they brought it out. And I guess you couldn't get within couple of blocks of the place <laughs> and i can tell why i mean it's just creamy smooth sweet sweet delicious. uh it's it's got uh, uh i think it's it, it tastes to me like a coffee with cream which Absolutely. i this is what i drink every morning and uh, yeah and i like it on the sweet side so it's really delicious so can we uh, start drinking uh blank slate opera cream with breakfast <laughs> <laughs> at least at least on your day off <laughs> yeah or, you, or if you're doing the hunter s thompson breakfast which <laughs> is uh which uh, definitely invites that kind of that kind of uh cocktail so uh and then you brought us tina uh from I, mad tree i brought um the galaxy high in cans which was they had their can release last tuesday i believe um so we didn't actually get it in time for last week's episode, but I brought a four pack of the cans, and um, it's uh, a fascinating drink. Real fruit flavor uh, nose, I think. That galaxy hop is very sweet. Um, I think maybe a little bit too sweet it, for me. It's one of the for me anyway. It's a nice beer. It's one of those beers. Maybe one, you know, maybe one of these, uh, and it's just, uh, it's, I'm waiting for this, let's put it this way, I'm waiting for the Citra to come out in cans, which is going to be soon, right? Soon. April, I believe, is what they're hoping for. I can drink me a ton of that stuff. That's, that's, <laughs> and that we stuff did. Nice. And the we did one day, least. yeah. Um, well, part of that was because the Bengals were... Lose, uh, we're tying the game in overtime with the, uh, with the with the Carolina Panthers. That was an infamous day. That was their that release was, of the that Citra That was the high. release of the Citra High. And, and then and yeah, you got the uh, you got the upper cream at uh, at Jungle Gyms, and that's uh, a howler, which is a thirty two ounce bottle. How much is that over there? The upper cream, I think, was seven dollars for a fill. Man. Um, it's five dollars for a pint. <laughs> I don't think you anything you get a pint. Do you over three dollars for a pint yeah. at, at, at Jungle Gym? Yeah. So uh, it's and then the Galaxy High. That's a four pack, not this, a six this pack. Is a, yeah, folks. this is a four pack, and it will set you back if you buy it in the tap room, not from a major retailer. It will set you back twelve fifty. Um, I think so, worth it. People go crazy for it. It's a high high gravity beer. I believe it's ten. 10.2%. So um, maybe 12.50 worth of Galaxy High is all you need in a night. It's, it's 11.99 at Jungle Jam. Oh, right is now. it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. If you drop so if you drop four of those bad boys, uh, you'll be looking for something actually, a little bit lighter uh, after that. A friend was telling me recently about how he brought home a four pack and he got thirsty. He was like, "Oh, I'm going to save these forever," and he got thirsty, and so he drank one, and then he drank two, and then he drank all of them, and then he was drunk. <laughs> 
Uh, please drink responsibly out there. You know, I don't think we said that at all last week. Uh, please drink responsibly. And I was fortunate enough, I drove to uh, Athens, Ohio today, so I got to go to Jackie O's, yay. And while I was waiting that, for them to pour me my 64-ounce uh, growler uh, of the, it's called Smoky Oats. Smoky and it's oats. a cherry wood and beech wood smoked oatmeal stout. And it's very good. Um, very smoky. While I was sitting there waiting for her to pour me the growler of this, I got to drink a Pilsaz, which is a, a fantastic Pilsner that they make. Totally on point. As good as anything I've had from Czechoslovakia or anything anything in the United States. Uh, just top flight. So I drank one of those while I was there, and then I got to get this uh, smoky oats. And I, I, think it's, I think it's pretty damn good. I think it's got a good smoky flavor, not overbearing. Uh, I think... I think you can tell the difference when the malt has actually been smoked as compared to when the, they pour a bottle of liquid smoke in the wort or in the uh, mash or whatever. So I, 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 think, it's, I think it's quite good. Um, and um, we were experiencing some technical difficulties, so we actually had to start over. So we've already had these beers poured for a little bit, and um, it does seem to get uh, smokier as it warms up a little bit. But not... But not, it's not still over, not overpowering. It's not overpowering. Yeah, at all. The, the the subtlety of the smoke is what I like about it. It's it's begging for a big grilled steak or a, a barbecue sandwich or something like so that. So we have the so. we have the uh, dinner end covered with the uh, smoky oats, and we have the dessert covered with the opera cream. And we have and the we Hunter have S. The Thompson lunch. Hunter S. Thompson lunch <laughs> with the galaxy eye. And then this is just we we have one more bonus. Uh, 12 ounce are brought to us by the gnome and that is some fantastically wonderful doesn't need any introduction or explanation uh three floyd zombie dust um that's what it's all about i think i mean that's i don't have any i haven't poured mm. any <laughs> it's just complex it's, it's got so much going on so much going on in the back end. That is that is just mm. piney and resiny on the on the nose, which I love. It, you can just tell why so many people like this beer. It's what a pale ale is supposed to be. It is mm -hmm. what a pale ale is supposed to be. I agree one hundred percent. Well, I was fortunate enough today to go down to Braxton Brewing, and uh, they were they were very very busy today. They were um, well, they were brewing. And I was told they were going to be brewing for the next 48 hours <laughs> straight. Ahead, of the, straight ahead of their opening. Uh, their soft opening is Wednesday night, uh, as we record, uh, would be two nights from now, uh, the 25th of March. Their main grand opening is on the 27th of March, which is uh, Friday, March 27th. And I was able to speak to the three founding family members, Greg Jake and Evan Ross, uh, Rouse, I'm sorry, and uh, and the brewmaster, late of Moorline Lager House, Richard Dubay, and we're going to bring you right now uh, our interview that I recorded uh, first with Greg and uh, Greg and Jake Rouse, uh, sort of about the business end of things, and then I had separate interviews with Evan and with Richard, and they both talked about the brewing, the beer, uh, the equipment, uh, which was mind-blowing and uh, just and and they all talked about too about their uh, success uh, what their 
uh, conception of success would be for Braxton. So right now, let's take you now to the interview with uh, Greg and Jake Rouse here on Cincy Brewcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Cincy Brewcast. I'm Mike Cisneros, and I'm joined uh, by uh, the two business uh, operators of uh, Braxton Brewing, co-founders Greg and Jake Rouse. Gentlemen, welcome. Thank you for joining us on what is proving to be an extremely busy time for you uh, ahead of your, uh, here on Monday, recording ahead of your uh, grand opening on Friday, uh, March 27th. Um, There's been a lot of activity just since we've been here setting up, so tell us a little bit about what's going on. Well, right now we're all about setting the final touches, right? We've got uh, almost 1,400 people signed up on Facebook to show up for our grand opening, and we're trying to do everything we can to make sure we execute just a flawless, amazing event. So... Uh, right now, it's just running around like crazy, making sure we're trained on every system that we have in here and that we're ready to go for Friday. Uh, I had a couple of questions kind of about the, about the story, about the, 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 the journey that was traveled here. And I wanted to ask Greg first, um, you know, on your website and in, your, in, your sto- in the story that's pretty well publicized, uh, Evan started, Evan, your son, the brewer, the, the, one of the head brewers, uh, started uh, brewing at age 16. Now, I know when I was 16, uh, my dad was trying to keep me as as disinterested in beer as possible. Uh, what kind of made you take that leap? What made you sort of say, well, you know, it, it, it was it just a, a good, clean hobby? Or uh, give me a little sense of how that went for you. So it really had to do with um, with his passion for the hobby. Um, he, uh, he took a, a very active interest in making beer very quickly. Um, when we uh, when we went and dropped Jake off for his first year at Indiana University, um, we went into a little we went into a microbrewery up there called Upland, uh-huh. and a very very nice brewery. And uh, Evan was just fascinated by the fact that you could actually make your own beer, and um, and so he thought, well, I mean, obviously I can't drink beer, but I would love to try to make it. So when, after we dropped Jake off at school, um, when we were driving back home, um, Evan from the back seat got out his iPhone and ordered a homebrewing kit, <laughs> and uh, and. Five days later, uh, we were queuing it up for the first time uh-huh. and, and, and getting ready to go. What was that first beer? What was that? Uh, we actually, the very first beer that we brewed was a pale ale. And to be honest with you, it turned out extremely well. Uh, it really did. It was really good. But where, I mean, and I, this might be a question for him. Where did he get started? He, you know, was he uh, like I was drinking back in the woods or, you know? No, or, no. Evan's it, always been a tinkerer, honestly. He's always been one of those people that likes to play with things. I mean, he would literally take old electronics and de- just completely uh-huh. gut them and then rebuild them to see if they would work again. Uh-huh. And when we were at Upland, we actually got to step back behind the brewery and learn that there was more than just kind of pressing buttons and a beer pops out. It was more of an entire scientific process uh-huh. that you could tinker with to change the flavors 14 days later. And I think that was really the biggest thing. It had nothing to do with the, the product itself. I mean, it could very well have been wine or or anything, right? But it was about computers, computers, right? But it it just turned out for him that he was he's one of those individuals that was born to do something and uh, and his aptitude for doing it is is pretty remarkable. What was your role, Jake, to start with? I mean were you you know were were you sort of Yeah, that's a fantastic question. So I went to IU to study entrepreneurship. I've known since I was seven that I wanted to start a business. Uh, this is actually my second business, but nothing quite to this scale. You know, what my role was throughout this entire process, Evan started to win. 
uh, he and my dad would brew together in the garage, and they, you know, basically came together under the Northern Kentucky Humbers Guild and were pushed by their friends to enter into competitions. And, you know, his first competition ever was Bachfest 2015. He took best in show for his Maybach. And, you know, we all celebrated that. You know, it's an amazing win, you know, but I'm looking at him and I'm saying, it's fantastic, but I'm not leaving my software job in order to start a brewery with you right. for one medal. But slowly but surely, over the course of the next six months, he was racking up with, with my dad medals left and right. Every competition he would enter, he would medal, and he would win. And it got to the point where we looked around and, and said to each other, I'm pretty confident that, that we have a, a big, big opportunity here. Located in Northern Kentucky, be Northern Kentucky's first freestanding microbrewery, feed the greater Cincinnati tech community with what we're doing in this tap room with the tap room of the future. Which we want to talk about. Absolutely. Later. Yeah, I'd love to. And uh, and really bring it to life in a way that, that makes the most sense and really kind of build the business plan and, and go to market with it. Well, I mean, that, that brings up a question to me. So he's, Evan's winning, all, Evan and you are winning all these medals. You obviously were the taste tester, at least to begin with. Absolutely. Uh, oh, yeah. But did you have any real background in craft beer oh, no, or tasting I'm, different kinds of beer? No, absolutely not. We didn't start learning about craft beer and, until uh, until we started getting into these homebrewing kits and, and started making this beer. Um, and then he picked up a part-time job uh, working in a craft beer supply store. Um, so he, he was learning a lot in there, and that's when he started meeting people from the Homebrewers Guild. And uh, it's not until we really started integrating and, and joining in all of their events where we really started learning truly what craft could be for us. Sure. Well... Since you guys are here, sort of the as the business end, uh, it's been very well publicized. But let's talk a little bit about the Kickstarter. Sure. What what, uh, uh, what prompted you to do that? Uh, yeah. I think if I if my memory serves, the most successful brewing startup that That's was that ever took place on Kickstarter. Uh, tell us a little bit about what all went into that and what yeah. was your uh, absolutely sort of it, uh, for that. Yeah, for sure. So. The, the real reason why we did a Kickstarter is that I'm, I'm a nerd. I've been following the, the platform's success since they launched in 2008. And I've always, I backed numerous projects, and I've always been fascinated by the idea that you could market test an idea before you invest all your time and energy into it. So, you know, you run a Kickstarter and hope people are interested, and if they're not, you just kill the project. For us, we were going to do Braxton regardless of Kickstarter, but I, I wanted to participate in mm -hmm. the platform. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, and we, we sat down with our team. We're like, we've got a really cool story to tell. We've got a really interesting angle with how we're going to bring technology to life in this tap room and, and how the beer that Evan and Richard are going to put together is, is remarkable. And, and we started, literally, we filmed the video in April, so about a five-month planning process on how we would sit down and, and run Kickstarter and what it would mean to us and just absolutely blown away. I mean, we were so nervous when we pressed go live on that, on that day in, in September and to see what happened over the next 30 days was just remarkable. Well, we were looking at the uh, the, the Braxton... Uh, uh, the backer wall. The backer, backer wall, wall. Yep. and uh, our, one of our my colleagues, my daughter, Tina Cisneros, who joins us on uh, Cincy Brewcast, is one of the backers. Fantastic. Uh, so I know several of the backers. I unfortunately did not, but maybe that'll change. You know, and, and that kind of brings me around to this question. This brewery opening is one of the most anticipated in this area, uh, and that would be saying a lot if we hadn't had Mad Tree two years ago, uh, Rheingeist, you know, a little over a year and a half ago. Uh, there's just been so many that have come online. And then the 27th is, is you guys. Uh, opening day is Taft. 
alehouse, just on down the line. There's so. My question is: Is there any fear that this market is going to become saturated? You know, is there any any kind of worry that you guys have that that? And not almost, almost like a boy cries wolf, just kind of a ho hum factor. Oh well, here's another brewery. Okay, I mean, are you? Yeah. Does that concern you guys any? Or not at all. Uh, frankly, I, I, mean, I can good. tell you, we, um, we there's a lot of work that goes into the pre planning of starting a brewery, and there's there's a lot of different sizes and scales of breweries around, right? And so to classify everything in together is, in my opinion, I think it's incorrect. Uh, yes, everybody's making beer, but there's different qualifications and classifications of breweries in my mind. When I think about craft beer in Cincinnati, and I study the data very frequently, uh, it's growing at 3x the national average. Yes. So it is right. growing Absolutely. unbelievably fast in Cincinnati alone. So you think about that, and then you think about the fact that still, eight out of every ten beers is a Bud Miller Coors product. As long as every brewery that's coming online is focused on quality and making the absolute best product in the world, there's no there's no limit. There's absolutely no limit. And for us, we feel like we've done a phenomenal job at bringing the community in from day one, through Kickstarter, through our Friday Note, through different programs we've run in the year we've been planning Braxton, that we don't really feel like we're going to be lumped in with just another brewery. Uh, in fact, whenever I hear that, it, it really kind of makes me cringe a little bit because we're truly not. What we're doing in this space is unlike anything anybody's doing in the world in terms of the technology influence in craft beer and how all of that comes together. And not only that, bringing great beer out to market and doing something where the community has a space where they can come in and do something completely different. Um, yeah, it's, it, there's definitely a few breweries opening up. We know Kevin at Taft and, and I wish them a great deal of success. That place looks phenomenal. Um, but for us, it's, it's one of those things where I mean, 1,400 people signed up to come to an, an event where breweries never brew a beer is, is humbling, to say the least. Well, let's, since you brought it up a little bit, and you're a startup, and our program is kind of a startup, let's talk about sure. that tech and help a brother sure. out here. Break a little news about it that's been incredibly anticipated. Yep, yep. Uh, I, you know, uh, you have interactive displays, you're going to have an app. You've got the gigabit Wi-Fi, and what the hell is an iBeacon? Yeah, absolutely. Why don't you talk about that for a minute? Yeah, so for us, I I spent the past four years with Jonathan, our head of marketing at Salesforce.com, helping big brands figure out how technology can influence space. And for us, you know, this tap room, we call it the tap room of the future, but what we're doing is really going back to beer at its roots, right? So two things. The first is if you think about beer in historic England or historic Germany, the brewery was the communal meeting space. I mean, legislation was signed in breweries. People came here to hang out. And for us, what we're doing in this tap room is bringing that back. Gigabit Internet, the fastest internet in the world, is the core tenant to the tap room of the future. We're going to open this space up a little bit after we open and get our feet underneath us for the community to come in here and have meetings. You know, come. we've wired this place for AV better than most offices in greater Cincinnati. So think about it almost as some sort of a co-working space in the middle of a brewery, mm-hmm. which is a really cool space. On top of that, we've got what we believe is an industry-redefining mobile application uh, that's going to hit live sometime in the next week or so, likely before launch, uh, that does two primary things. Keeps you up to date on everything that's happening in Greater Cincinnati Beer, allows you to learn more about our beer that's, that's within our platform, and most importantly, it makes it very easy for you to find your next Braxton client. But again, it's just a platform, so we've built in feedback infrastructure for people to tell us what they'd like to see built on right, top of it. Right. On top of all of that, the interactive displays are definitely coming. There, there's no doubt about all of that. 
and we've been testing for the past week and a half, seeing how all this stuff plays out. And we think what we're going to launch with on day one is something that we really believe in and it inspires us a great deal. And we think it's going to inspire a lot of other people. Let's talk a little bit about the marketing. Uh, uh, Jonathan, I was talking to him before we sat down. Uh, and uh, 20 taps, you're going to have 20 taps filled, uh, what, at least by the end of the year, yes, right? Yes, sir. Uh, and and uh, all of Braxton beer, because I looked at it, they said, well, they're going to brew 20 different kinds of beer. That Obviously, you know, at least you know, 25% of that is for guest taps, but that's not the case. Nope. Uh, and then, uh, but you are going to, you are going to distribute, you're going to market around yes. various bars. And, and then what is, the, what are the plans for uh, packaging, if yeah. any, as far as? Yeah. So right now we've been, again, we've been incredibly humbled. We partnered with Stagnera, uh, one of the largest distributors in greater Cincinnati to distribute us in both Cincinnati and Kentucky. Uh, given the outcry of support that we've seen over the past couple of weeks, uh, and months rather, We've, we've really going to limit our launch to Covington and, and Northern Kentucky as a whole and then move into Cincinnati as capacity allows. I mean, it's, it's been pretty remarkable. Um, we do intend, we're a production microbrewery. We'll be distributing all across greater Cincinnati, uh, both Ohio and Kentucky, and we will move into packaging when the time is right. So we're going to stay draft only, uh, frankly, because it's, it's really, you know, that's the systems we have in place and capacity is going to allow us to stay at draft only for quite some time. Mm-hmm. But as we begin to scale, we'll move into packaging. Very You're going to do bottles or cans? That's a great question. We haven't quite figured that one out yet. <laughs> I know cans are hot, but, but you know uh, I've talked to some brewers, and they their 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 belief is that the bottle is the gold standard. So sure. I, you know, so um, uh, how about both? Well, you know, <laughs> I've always said you know cans for your core stuff, and then bombers for your uh, for your uh, specialties and your seasonals and things like yeah, that. You might be on to something. Uh, Sounds logical. Well, you know, I'll take the one percent of whatever. You um, and then this is I'm going to ask uh, Richard. And, Evan, when we get a chance to talk to him about this, but uh, a, a great deal of your process has already been really successful. I mean, the Kickstarter, uh, the way the room looks, what you've got going on as far as the tech, the marketing. What what do you guys both see as as kind of, kind of the ultimate success of you know the venture here? Yeah. Uh, and I, I think we may have different answers to this, so I'd be well, really interested. I'd be really interested to get his opinion as well. But for me, the, the ultimate success of Braxton is, is a few things. The first is that we're 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 thinking about beer as a platform, right? It's it's an amazing product. Everybody loves a great beer, but it's more about the platform and the experiences that you have around a great tasting beer, right? You're with a friend. You're out with some people. It's a social gathering. So for me, I think the ultimate success of Braxton is when people try our beer. They recognize the outstanding quality and flavor, which is, I mean, we, we can't wait to get that out. But more importantly, they recognize that we really understand them as people. Like, there are things that we're doing. This space is not just some nerd's dream like myself about what we can do, but there's there's things that, you know, I, I go out and I, I frequent craft breweries, I frequent craft beer bars, and there are things that just drive me crazy. Phones die. You should have a charger at every single place. Like there should be chargers everywhere because phones die and the phone is vital to your life. And it's just for us, it's about realizing that Braxton is different. And the grand vision is, is we really, really want to do something that, that changes craft beer across the board. So setting a standard that isn't just mimicked in greater Cincinnati, but mimicked across the U.S. So for me, it, my, our answers aren't really that different. Um, for me, it's really two things. It's about... It's about quality, but it's also about it's also about an educational experience, right? Um, 
in, in our Kickstarter video, there's a, there's a three-second clip in there uh, where Evan makes a statement where he says, um, um, bringing mediocre beer to this industry helps no one. And he's, he's absolutely right about that. Um, that's, that's core. That's a core belief to who we are. Um, we, we know what's going to come out of the back of the building. Um, we understand what the excitement's about. We're equally excited. I mean, we're sitting here right now, and for the first time, they're filling the bright tank with the first thing that's getting ready to be kegged. So right, it's, a, right. it's a big day around here. Um, the other part of it really has to do with the, the education and, and the experience, right? Um, we want not only our tap room, but, but we want to make sure that anywhere that our beer is being served, um, that, that people, consumers that, that like our product and want to try our product, um, understand what we're doing and how we're doing it. Um, you know, our, we, talk, we talk to the brewing team a lot about, about you know, making themselves available um, in this space, or even when we have to go on the road for big promotions and stuff like that, um, we're fortunate in that you know Richard, um, amongst being you know one of the world's best brewmasters, is also an educator. Um, so he takes education and and the sharing. He loves to talk beer, and um, and he takes he takes that very seriously. And it's something that he's ingrained into all of us. We want people to understand what we're doing. We want to be extremely transparent. And um, and we want to we want to make sure that it's an open opportunity. We don't want our, our brewers or our philosophies or anything to be hidden from the general public, which is the reason we tore down all the walls in this place. And that was going to be my last question, except that I've had some debate with some people, and I think you guys are just and and, and probably this should be a standard question that I ask anybody that's involved in any brewing operation, especially one that's starting up, is that there are some people that will, will go out there and say that you can do it with marketing. You know, you can, you can do it all with marketing. And I tend to disagree with that. I think that the craft beer population is savvy enough to know crap when they taste it. Right. And, and oh, absolutely. So. I, I'm a marketer by trade, right? I, my passion is bringing things to life and telling an amazing story. This is the only industry I know where that statement couldn't be more false. This industry is driven by product. You can have the best brand in the world, but if you're putting crap out into the market, people will know it. And it's one of those things where you, you can get so far, but for us, I can guarantee you one thing. There will be no beer that leaves this facility that is not the best beer we've ever put out, period. We'll dump the batch. And that's just the way Evan and Richard run their team. It's, they believe in quality. They both come from process-driven backgrounds. Evan at Hofbrauhaus, House, Richard at, at Labatt's, Budweiser, Sam Adams. I mean, it's, it's consistency and quality, consistency and quality, and that's what you're going to get. And it's, it's not just talk. I mean, they've made that very clear to us. Um, just the quality assurance testing that they're doing back there right now with the stuff that we're getting ready to keg for the first time. The, the testing that they're doing, the, the, just the analytics, the, the numbers, the note-taking, all that stuff. It, it's kind of amazing to watch considering where we came from. Um, but but that's, that's, that's important in homebrewing. If you're going to do all, good oh, yeah. homebrewing, home you have to. That's why I got out of it. Yeah. Because yeah. I, yeah. A, I'm like, oh, geez, you know, I've got to take more notes. And B... What I was making was nasty, and I said to myself, "There's got to be other guys out here doing better work that you know better work than I'm doing. I'd rather pay for it." Sure. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I brewed in the garage with Evan for six years. I guess I shouldn't say I brewed. I was more like his assistant, <laughs> and uh, and that's that's kind of true. I always make the that's joke cool. that my job in that relationship was to clean up after him. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, but uh, I thought he was a diligent note taker and and really adamant about everything and, until I met Richard. 
And now that I see that going on, that dynamic going on back there together, it's amazing. It's, it's just amazing the way that they work. Excellent. Excellent. Well, gentlemen, I've taken enough of your time. Hopefully, we'll get a chance to talk to Richard. We're going to see you at the opening. And Evan. Uh, well, I would like to come, but I have another job. Uh, okay. okay. <laughs> and as I was talking to Jonathan, I don't get out of there until 830 Hey, and I can't, imagine, still 1 I can't imagine getting within a, be able to couple, get in a couple blocks of this place. You know, <laughs> well, if you before. stop by, just let us know. We'd love to have you. Okay, sounds good. Okay. Uh, I'll take you up on that. Uh, so uh, join us next. Uh, we'll have an uh, interview with uh, uh, Evan Rouse and Richard Dubay, the, the brewing magicians of uh, Braxton Brewing, uh, when we come back. This is Cincy Brewcast. Well, that was uh, boy. There's a lot. There's a lot to talk about there. I don't know if we have enough time because we got to get to our uh, interviews that we did with both uh, Evan Rouse and Richard Dubay. But uh, no, your first impressions. I mean, uh, there's some pretty good stuff there. It's they already seem like a brewery that's been running for years everything mm-hmm. seems so well thought out and so well planned you know there's been a lot of talk about how this is you know one of the most hyped breweries in the cincinnati area ever and it, it really is for good reason it's they're they're they seem to be doing everything absolutely right and by the book and so i'm i'm really excited to see what happens starting friday a pretty emphatic answer from jake i thought about the market saturation and where you know that he does not think we're getting to a point where a new brewery opening in Cincinnati is is a ho hum proposition. Fourteen hundred people that are saying they're going to be there on Friday, I think, answers that better than anything else does. I think that there's still plenty of room for good beer, and I think that's the the key to it all. Like you said, if you're if you're brewing good beer, people will come and people will drink it. Well, and that was an awesome point, too, about how, which I've never really thought about before when considering market saturation in the, you know, Cincinnati or, you know, the craft brew industry at all, um, is that, you know, he mentioned that there are so many different mm-hmm. sizes of breweries and doing so many different things that it's it really is sort of, and like I said, this is kind of, you know, kind of blew my mind when he said this, that it really is not exactly right to lump them all in together and, you know, think that. And I mean, obviously, each brewery has different goals. Each brewery knows what they want to be and how they want to, um, you know, sort of connect with the their customers. So I thought that was a really, really good answer from him as well. Just because I had never, I had never thought about that. More line, more line is very different from Listerman. Is very different from Dogberry. I mean, they, they they really do all fit into this community together. Right. And that's what makes it such a fun. And yeah, it seems as if there really is a place for everybody when you think about it that way. Right. Uh, and I guess that all went to his discussion about what the, how they position themselves in the market, uh, a community gathering space, I guess, uh, equated to the to the and I didn't mention this to him, but equated to the to the uh, beer culture in Germany and in England, and then of course you know one of the things I thought of was that the American Revolution started in bars and pubs and taverns, so. Uh, I don't think there's going to be anything like that going on, but he really seems like he wants it to be a place where a wide range of people can come together and meet, maybe share ideas, do work. It's it's real similar to coffee houses too. I, that's what I keep thinking of is that it's it's 
my kind of coffee house, you know. Right. right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You see more and more people with their laptops at breweries. It really is. It's it's bizarre. Yeah. It's it's a blogger's dream come true. <laughs> exactly. I, by I the get way, to drink and work. This is awesome. By the way, bloggers and tech people. What I never did get out of him. What the hell an eye beacon was? Oh, eye beacons. Eye beacons are Bluetooth pods you can stick around a space that. If you have an app that enables it, you can uh, send information to somebody's phone when they get near this iBeacon. So the way I envision it, and this is not something that they've come out and said, is that you could be in a brew space and walking around by yourself on a, you know, some kind of self-guided tour or something like that. And as you get close to you know the mash tun, something would pop up on your phone and explain what a mash tun is and how it fits into the process. Oh, that's and you very walk cool. over. How many people know what a bright tank is or sure. a hot liquor tank? Like people aren't always aware of those things, and a state-of-the-art app with iBeacons spaced around a brewery would be would be really cool for somebody, and nobody else is doing it. You know, it's that's not something that even you know the the big beer guys have done. It's it's a neat idea that I think. Uh, that, that is it, a very neat idea. That is, that is cool. That, Education. Yeah, that's and amazing. I think that's that's a big thing, I, you know, that they're really pushing is education, educating people on, on craft beer and, and how the brewing process takes place. Uh, 20 taps. 20 taps. I mean, uh, and, and a little bit later in an interview with Evan, he kind of runs down what they're going to be doing, and... It's not like there aren't enough beer styles to fill 20 taps, but um, 20 of their own, uh, you know. I think it sounds super ambitious. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing what they all end up being, um, just because I, that just kind of it baffles me. <laughs> like, how are you going to fill 20 taps? We've, we've got a pretty good idea of the, the four year-round beers. Right. You've got the the storm, which is the golden cream ale, which is what I think they're putting in the bright tank today. Yes, that's that's um, what they were brewing first. That... Their hoppy wheat, which is either called jumper or sparky, and sparky. Still, I'm and still kind of confused he, on that. He talks about that in the um, interview as well. So, and then you got crankshaft, which is their IPA, and then their um, uh, dead blow, which is a tropical stout, which I got a chance to taste Evan's homebrew version of that, and it was fantastic. It's got some date syrup added really late in there so it's got the sweetness that sits on the back of the tongue and it's fantastic and then he discussed a um, uh, a porter uh, the, the robust porter robust porter it will be in, I, I'm 99% he's got sure the name be, of, the name escapes me so yeah, blown gasket blown gasket yes and that uh, I, I think that'll be on for their opening on Friday but they haven't really said that yet and then there's um Trophy, which is a pale ale, which is one of their seasonals, I think, should be on soon. But I mean, that's that's six beers off the bat right there that we know are going to be on soon. And I, I mean, I think my final impression was one of the last things that quiet, oh, you bad boy, uh, Bocce didn't like it. Uh, my uh, my final kind of impression was a lot of dads clean up after their sixteen-year-old kids. <laughs> But that's kind of ridiculous. So he was in there uh, cleaning up after the after his son, the brew, the craft brewer, the home brewer, <laughs> which I just find hilarious. So. Well, the next thing, and 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 he is going to discuss the beers. Uh, was uh, Evan Rouse? We actually caught him. Uh, 
which there's video, which at some point will end up on some sort of website, I think, of ours. <laughs> but we, we did catch uh, Evan uh, doing uh, work today. He was uh, looking in the tanks and 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 uh, and keeping an eye on the boil and 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 and, and all that stuff. So let's go to that interview right now. Uh, my talk with uh, Evan Rouse, uh, one of the head brewers from Braxton Brewing, here on Cincy Brewcast. Congratulations. You guys are really busy today, huh? Yeah, it's very busy. We, uh, we are filtering and kegging and brewing, uh, prepping for the second wave of brews so we can have all the beer ready for opening. The very first batches of what's going to be uh, sold to the public on uh, Friday. Correct, correct. Uh, we've got uh, Storm. A golden cream ale. We've got um, it is a blown gasket, a robust porter, uh, Sparky, an American hoppy wheat, and then our last one is um, uh, Crankshaft, our IPA. I want to talk about all that, but first of all, let's talk a little bit about you. You started brewing when you were 16 years old. Uh, we were talking to your dad, Greg, about that a little bit before in our earlier interview. Uh, I have some sense of your journey because I read Michael Jackson's World Guide to Beer when I was about 16, but uh, it didn't take me in the direction it took you. Just tell us a little bit about what got you to the point where you wanted to start brewing at age 16. Oh, absolutely. It, it all kind of goes back to when we took my brother uh, and dropped him off to school at IU. Uh, couldn't have his car, so family trip up to Indiana University in Bloomington. A uh, little small brew pub, what was then a small brew pub, Upland Brewing Company. Uh, it's quite grown now. Uh, still one of my favorites. Um, I've always loved math and science, and... Just the fact that the fact that you could actually brew your own beer, because that, that to me was just astonishing. I had no idea that you could, uh, and the waitress came over, kind of walked us through all the beers. Of course, I didn't drink then, uh, but it was just very, very cool to me um, that, you know, I've seen my dad drink. At that point, it was Bud Lights and the light lagers, and uh, sure enough that, sure enough, he uh, started branching out, trying different things. On the way home, I ordered a home brewing kit, and we were brewing together, uh, and it's kind of spiraled out of control ever since then. He's checking, uh, for your radio listeners, he's checking one of the brew tanks. It's on the boil. It's, uh, and uh, so now you're here. Uh, absolutely looks like absolutely state-of-the-art equipment. Tell us a little bit about that. It actually uh, was kind of dreamed up by uh, Richard and myself. Um, I've got my prior experience at Hofbrauhaus House in Newport, and that was pretty much the Cadillac of systems. Uh, fully automated. Uh, very few actual valves that you turn. Uh, the program the computer would run through a recipe program so it would brew pretty much itself uh richard came from the exact opposite uh very manual very very hand you know running up and down the stairs turning those valves checking temperatures manually as well um and we agreed that we wanted a mixture of both uh my home brewing background uh, one of the reasons i loved brewing was that the actual turning of the valve dialing in that speed watching the the, the actual work coming through the sight glass uh, so when we came together and we designed this system, we decided that we were going to go fully manual at first, um, but our controls cabinet actually allows us to go automated in the future. Uh, so we can add on to it, we can kind of change it around. And that's kind of it's kind of where the Northern Kentucky Homebrewers Guild kind of got me as well. I met a lot of individuals that helped me kind of automate my, my what would be Braxton's pilot system, what was then my homebrewing system. Uh, so it's kind of a little mixture of both. You say you like a, what you really like about it is a lot of the uh, uh, math and science aspect of it, but there's a real art to brewing, and, 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 and what, what part of that appeals to you as well? The, 
recipe formulation, absolutely. Um, and and I'm I get I get I'm lucky enough that I get to work side by side with Richard Dubay every day. Uh, the amount of knowledge that I'm gaining and learning daily is is incredible. Um, so the the recipe formulation side and scaling, you know, a five, ten, fifteen gallon homebrew batch up to a 620 20 barrel batch, uh, 620 gallon 20 barrel batch is is crazy. Uh, it's not straight straight multiplication. It's it's totally different. They're talking 20 different Braxton beers by the time that you guys are fully operational. Um, tell us a little bit about the process and what's coming down the road, and we'll also talk about the ones that you're going to have on tap this uh, this coming weekend, too. Absolutely. So the whole idea between 20, 20 different beers was what we call multiplicity. Um, Richard and I want to brew to kind of our own taste, but for the general public's taste. Uh, and our saying all along has been, if, if, if you're not really necessarily into craft beer yet, education plays a major role in what we're trying to do. Uh, so, you know, with an open mind in 15 minutes of your time, we can find a beer that you might not love, but you'll, you'll, you'll appreciate it and you'll get a better understanding for craft beer. So with having 20 different taps, it allows us to have 20 different styles. The goal is 20 taps behind the bar. Each one will be filled with a different Braxton beer. Uh, and that's what we're able to do. That way we can hit the multiplicity, have a wide portfolio, uh, and, and really dive into unique styles. We're going to get into barrel aging. We're going to get into sours. Uh, we're going to get into to larger, more malty beers, barley wines, that kind of stuff. We love Belgians. We're going to do a Belgian series. Um, in particular, the four beers that we're starting with, the Golden Cream Ale, uh, is in fact a Golden Cream Ale. It's not a Cream Ale. It's not a Golden Ale. It's kind of a blend of the two styles. Um, I've been brewing it for six years, uh, and it's won dozens of, of awards throughout homebrewing competitions. And when Richard and I got together, he tried it. We cleaned up the recipe a little bit by simplifying it. Um, and, and what's happening is, is with cream ales, you're, you're finding DMS, which is dimethyl sulfide. It's a very – open up a can of corn. It smells like corn. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's because cream ales use flaked maize. It's a, it's a corn product. Uh, but with this beer, we're boiling it so vigorously, we're boiling away all the DMS. So if you read the style guidelines for a, blonde, or a golden ale and a cream ale, you're going to find that this is, this is a truly, by, by a base recipe, it is a cream ale. However, because we're boiling so vigorously that it is, in fact, a blend of the styles because you're not getting that DMS. And, a lot, I mean, a lot of craft brewers would say corn in a beer, absolutely not. We're not going to do that, but you don't seem to want to shy away from that. Absolutely not because it's a typical cream ale recipe. Uh, so the, the corn is just one of the common, it is standard. Uh, if you brew a cream ale, um, it's going to have corn in it. Uh, but we don't want people to think of our, our golden cream ale as to be like, you know, Cincinnati's past Little Kings, that kind of stuff, because we, we're not that. It's not that at all. It has a small amount of corn in it. It gives that slight creaminess in the mouthfeel. Uh, but we boil all the DMS away, and it borders that uh, golden ale and cream ale style. Let's talk about some of the other ones. And and one of the things that I wanted to ask too was you're in Kentucky, kind of wide open. You can you can sell beer above twelve percent. I guess that's coming. But most of what you've got uh, in your lineup starting off is uh, looks like it's pretty sessionable. I don't think there's anything over six percent. Uh, our robust porters is seven and a half. Okay, yeah, uh, right. yeah. But uh, yeah, we're going for more approachable styles. Uh, that way we can kind of come out more widely to a wider variety of people because uh, like I said education is a big play so we want to we want to take people who are kind of dilly-dallying in craft beer and bring them in uh, our IPA also more approachable 75 IBUs about 6% ABV we use Simcoe Amarillo and Chinook hops Chinook hop is the dominating hop you're going to get a beautiful mango pine and a little bit of citrus notes it, overall it's great um, 
it's not going to give you bitter beer face, or what I call bitter beer face. <laughs> you know, you hear all these brewers like, oh, it's got a thousand IBUs. Well, yeah, anybody can brew an IPA with a thousand IBUs. Jump a shitload of hops in there, and that's what happens. Uh, so we're we're going for a more balanced, uh, overall approachable IPA. Uh, the robust porter uh, is nice and roasty, seven and a half percent ABV. Um, nice little hops to to back up the malt characteristic but it's not overly bitter and you're not going to get the acrid harshness from uh, a lot of the roasted malts uh, that most porters will have we also added some oats to give the nice mouthfeel and support the head retention Uh, lastly is sparky it's one of my favorites it's american hoppy wheat 35 ibus five and a half percent abv Um, just being one of my favorite styles the american hoppy wheat you make you think of gumball head uh, just all day, you just you can just pound that beer. It's sessionable, it's approachable, um, and the reason we want that instead of an IPA is one of the main flagships. It's because everybody launches with an IPA, and we feel that our hoppy wheat is actually sparky. Our hoppy wheat will actually keep the hop heads at bay because it's just hoppy enough. It's 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 approachable by everyone, uh, and overall, it's going to give you a nice citrus, uh, balanced, crisp, clean beer. And then tell us a little bit about uh, a couple of things that might be on the horizon. You talk, you just touched on the barley wines and some of the other. Uh, what's going to be some of the first ones down the pike? And I guess ask kind of about the process of what makes you decide what you want to brew and, uh, you know, what recipe you want to use and what you tweak. And I also like to talk about brewing the style. It sounds like you guys are going to try to at least keep a good amount of, of, of what you do core style you know brewing the style and that kind of thing yep uh absolutely uh so down the pipeline uh definitely the first one coming down is going to be dead blow uh which is our tropical stout um that's very anticipated there's a lot of people including myself that are really looking forward to trying that i i can't wait to brew it i've brewed it uh, multiple times on the pilot system we've got the recipe dialed in we had a few little hiccups that prevented us from actually brewing it uh, but it's actually going to be brewed this week, and it should be out in the next few weeks. Um, after that, we've got uh, other styles coming down the pipeline. We, we're, we're thinking um, this things as a Dusseldorf Alt and ESB. Um, we're getting really... You're, you're talking by all my language right we, now, you know? Oh, yeah, we're going to dive into lagers as well. We, yeah. really, we have a beautiful system, uh, custom design for us. that allows us to do decoction uh, mashing, so we can hit those true uh, to nature... Uh, pilsners and lagers via decoction mashing. Uh, so our goal is to have a, de- a lager on there's, pretty much at all times. There's not enough good craft lager, and there's not enough good craft pilsner for my book. I mean, they're, they're the classic styles. Everybody likes that, and and so many craft brewers just want to kind of throw that throw them down the drain and say, well, they're they're passe or they're because so many of them are done so poorly. Oh yeah, and I, I agree with you. Uh, we're gonna fix that. Uh, Richard and I both have lagering backgrounds. Coming from Hofbrauhaus in Newport, um, you always had at least four lagers on. So not only did I learn to brew consistently, I learned um, lagers, 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 uh, the proper lagering techniques. Richard, with his extensive background, also has the lagering techniques as well. And let me just ask you about, I know you touched on working with Richard earlier, but I, I guess it's kind of almost like being coached in baseball by a Hall of Famer, you know? I mean, he's he's seems like he's done it all and uh it's just got to be a great uh, a, a great advantage to you to be able to work with someone like him it it truly truly is um outside i mean just from building building to where we are today working with him then now actually getting to brew with him filter with him run through the daily motions prepping for the the next day uh, everything is truly amazing and it's far better than i would have ever imagined 
the amount of knowledge that I've gained and the amount of knowledge I gain on a daily basis uh, just blows me away. Um, I can't, I simply don't have enough pages in my notebook to write down all the stuff that I need to. Uh, I can't, I can't wait to see as we continue to grow uh, what it turns into, but it, I, I wouldn't have, I couldn't have chosen a better partner. He is truly incredible to work with. Uh, and finally, and I asked your brother and your dad this question uh, as he checks again the boil, uh, uh, as he's been doing throughout the interview. Um, what what is what is success to you? They've already been very successful in a wide range of, you know, the Kickstarter and and the marketing and so forth. But what is what is a success for Braxton ultimately for you? Success for Braxton to me, uh, sustained sustained smart growth. Number one. Uh, we will grow um, to be Cincinnati's beer is kind of our goal, and uh, but do it in a smart way so that we're not just you know piling on the tanks, increasing production without kind of watching quality. We will not send a subpar batch of beer out of our facility. We've said it way back before we ever did our Kickstarter video. We still say it now. Um, that that's number one: uh, quality control, sustained growth, uh, and you know a few GABF medals won't hurt either. Yeah. Uh, I loved it. The, the competition side of things, homebrewing-wise, was, was always one of the more fun parts. I can't wait to get into it uh, on the professional level as well. Well, if the commitment that I see here and the facility and everything has anything to do with it, you'll be counting. You'll be hanging those babies on the wall uh, by the dozens, I would think. So, Evan, thanks for your time. We appreciate you know how, how busy you've been, and we really appreciate you joining us on Cincy Brewcast. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. It was nice to meet you, and thank you for your time. Uh, comments on that? Well, hey, there was a lot. There was there's a lot going on there too. Uh, these guys are very excited about what's going on at uh, at, at Braxton, and and uh, I mean, he just he gave us so much stuff uh, in that in that particular piece, and and uh, I mean, a couple of the things that really stuck out to me was was well, first of all, I didn't know that Hofbrau House was fully automated, so that's pretty interesting. That is interesting, um, and. Um, um, Here's something that, I, that he talked about the multiplicity. He talked about the 20 taps, and he talked about brewing to the general public's taste. And that's there's so many craft brewers out there that go, fuck the general public. We're going to brew what we want to brew, and if you don't like it, you know, drink Budweiser. And that's all well and good, and if that's the way you want to be, that's fine. But... Um, and, and and the phrase to me came to mind that they're that over there at, at Braxton at least at this point they're brewing a bunch of gateway beers they're trying mm -hmm. to find people yep. to come in and drink this cream ale and to drink this maybe even underhopped IPA and 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 really get introduced build, in a, build loyalty yeah, yeah. You want somebody well, build to loyalty and also appeal to tastes that will then bring people in to try the other stuff. Well, and that makes me wonder as far as, not that those beers aren't, you know, you, kind of what you described aren't interesting to, you know, like craft beer aficionados. It makes me wonder, is it going to take, you know, a few months of them making new stuff to actually really get, you know, to the place where craft beer people like, you know, like the three of us and um, a lot of people that I just know and talk to. Um, is it going to take a while for them to get to where the craft beer people want their beers to be? Well, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, they sound to me like they're ready to be on point with everything that they that they're going to put out. 
Right. And I, I you know, they have a, they, they seem to have a real love and a real commitment to that, to that golden cream ale. I mean, he, he talked about the process with that and, and, and how, you know, they, they boiled all, you know, they boiled all the DMS. I'm not even sure. You know, I'm not a technical uh, brewing guy. You know, or yeah, like. yeah. So, uh, I mean, I'm not a technical brewing person, uh, but it, it seemed to me like they're really hanging a lot on that one particular beer to sort of introduce everybody. And it's going to have to be good. They think it's good. I mean, especially you'll hear uh, Richard in the next interview. I mean, he's he's really thrilled with it. He's, he's it's an award-winning beer. It, that's that's one of Evan's oldest recipes that. Um, yeah, I wish I had the, the notes sitting in front of me for it, but it's definitely won homebrew awards for years. I, people like it. You know, it's, it, every brewery needs that. I, I always hesitate trying to think of the word, not, you know, not, it's not middle of the road. because A, a, a beer your dad likes, maybe? Yeah, like a beer to, to, to get people to drink the beer, you know, mm-hmm. and that's not that that makes it a bad beer. It's just, it's, it's a gateway beer, like you said, and it, uh, it's a good one. They keep saying, and you'll hear it again uh, in Richard's interview, which is coming up uh, right away. Um, just quality, quality, s- slow and steady growth, uh, sustainable, you know, sustainable operation. Uh, it, it, it's pretty impressive. Uh, whoever started it, whoever was the one that came up with that mantra for the for the for Braxton Brewing, really has pounded it in everybody's head, haven't they? I think so. And that's, it's hard to say that slow and steady growth when they're telling us they're going to have 20 taps. <laughs> right, well, yeah, I was thinking well, the same thing, you know, I didn't want to sound like too much of a naysayer. And, and um, you know, they're going to be in, you know, the in, I would imagine they'll be in most every bar in Cincinnati up I would, within the next couple of weeks. Certain, you? Certainly in northern Kentucky, that's for sure. They've, you know, they've yeah, hit I mean, into an untapped market they were gonna there. Kinda, yeah, they were going to kind of hit northern Kentucky first and then kind of expand into Cincinnati when they can. And really impressed. I was fortunate enough, of course. Um, I, I guess it's um, Listerman. That's that's one uh, one at, at GABF, uh, and also and, and also Fifty West. Eight ball. And oh, eight ball yeah. and eight ball too. Um, and I was fortunate enough to uh, go to a, a multi GABF medal winning uh, place out in uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico, called Marble Brewing Company, and uh, they had an oatmeal stout. That you would absolutely die. I mean, it was probably, it's the closest thing that I've ever drank to Young's. So when when you hear somebody say that they want to win medals, and you say he's won multiple medals, and you heard his dad talk about it, he's won multiple medals in, in, in home brewing, that's, that can only mean good things for right, the, sorry, the craft. Sorry, that can sorry. only mean good things for the whole craft brewing industry in this town, because I, I don't know. I don't know if there's enough really emphasis on winning medals in this town or not well you know sure, and then that does and then that raises the bar for all of the other kind of you know breweries of their size or um you know you, what they're trying you to mentioned do. listerman and you know they had to basically sneak that beer into great american you know beer festival because dan listerman didn't necessarily want to enter it in you know there's there's a lot of brewers that are like oh we we don't need that that's not what we're here for and i think for cincinnati as a whole it's an important it's an it's an important thing if we want to build this scene into something to get people to travel to our city for the beer. And so it is, it is refreshing to see 
somebody that's coming into it saying we like we like competing with people we like getting feedback from other cities we like talking to other brewers because i don't know that that's necessarily always the case um with everybody i think sometimes it's easy to get caught up in 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 your um your business plan i guess is the best way to put it We finally, uh, the last uh, interview that I was able to do today was uh, uh, with uh, Richard Dubay. And, you know, I called him a Hall of Famer to uh, Evan Rouse, and I think Evan agreed. And uh, But to say this guy's, I guess, done everything in brewing and then some, because he also taught in high school for a while uh, in the Cincinnati area. Uh, and, I, and I guess to say this guy's done just about everything in brewing uh, is, is an understatement, uh, and I discussed that with him uh, in the interview, um, but just it, it, and and I, you know, if there's a question that I wish I would have asked, it is, you know, uh, how did you get him to to you know to come? I asked I asked Richard. How did you? I asked Richard. My first question was, what made you want to come in? Uh, but when Richard was at Moreline, he. From, from what I understand, called Evan many, many times over the those few years, trying to get him to leave Hofbrau and come over to Moreland and brew with him. Evan well, when did time. Evan start working at Hofbrau? Like when he was 18? Uh, no, he... You know, I wish I had the dates in front He's of me. He's 22 now. He, he wasn't there a long time, but um, he was there long enough Because Richard's to, been to gone from Moreland for about a year and a half, right? Or, or even maybe even more? I spoke to him. I spoke to him in September of 2013. I think it was when he was still there. When he was still there, they were they were doing think, their their tapping of their Oktoberfest at that time. I think he left the beginning of 2014. Off the top of my head, yeah. Um, you know. Well, anyway, with, without further ado, let's go ahead and uh, and and <coughs> play my interview that I had this afternoon with uh, Richard Dubay, the brewmaster of. Braxton Brewing Company on Cincy Brewcast. Mike Cisneros back on Cincy Brewcast and joining me is the brewmaster of Braxton Brewing, uh, Richard Dubay. And Richard, it's a very busy week. We appreciate you taking a little time out to talk to us. That's all right. Thank you very much. Uh, you have been, I guess, everywhere. I called you a Hall of Famer <laughs> to Zach before. Uh, uh, you know, you've been in, in, in uh, corporate mi- macro brewing yeah. at uh, Molson and AB. Yeah. You did corporate micro brewing at, uh, at uh, Boston and at uh, Moorline. Yeah. What was it about Braxton that made you interested in joining this um, venture because it went back to the source uh, we were really interested to go back to really truly hands-on brewing uh, so that actually what brought me back in the industry you know a few years ago uh, with the logger house was to be really hands-on uh, and the opportunity to design a system from really square one uh, when I joined lo- the logger house the system had already been like 90% designs. So I didn't have too much to, to do in that regard. But this was really to take it from step number one and bring it to life. And right now, you know, we are just a few hours ago, a few hours away to see the fruit of our passion, I would say. Yeah, you are uh, the first batch of Braxton Brewing that's going to be sold to the public is going into the bright tank now, as I'm yeah. told. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. We just filtered our golden cream ale, which is one of our flagship. And I'm really, really pleased. 
of course, bias maybe a little bit, people <laughs> would say. But no, truly, truly, we really nailed what we were looking for, a golden cream ale. I think people are going to be blown away. And uh, just tell us a little bit about the, the process of developing a recipe and what, what kind of goes into it from the brewmaster standpoint. Actually, on this one, I didn't have that much to do because the golden cream ale is actually Evan's recipe. Uh, it's you know, where the whole story started. Uh, that this is the first beer that he produced and produced it several times. Uh, my input was to take it from a home brewing level to bring it to the kind of level that we're doing it. So there was a little bit of a tweaks here and there in terms of uh, percentage of the different ingredients uh, and how it was being to uh, how it was going to be brewed in the brew house. Uh, maybe fermentation temperature, that kind of stuff. But really, I mean, all the credit goes to Evan on that one. And, of course, pretty state-of-the-art. And from my interview with Evan, he mentioned that it's a little bit of both. It's a little bit of automation and a little bit of, as you said, the real hands-on, uh, almost homebrewing type stuff. A- absolutely, absolutely. I mean, when you look at automation, the only thing that we have is like a, a southern oil steam valve that opens at a certain set point. Uh, but the rest is fairly manual, you know, on-off pumps, uh, on-off uh, valves, and so on and so forth. So, yeah, really, really hands-on. It's kind of fun. And everybody's been talking about quality around here. And, I mean, that's really where the rubber meets the road in craft beer because I frankly think there's a lot of quote-unquote craft brewers out there that just aren't doing the work yeah. and aren't getting it done uh, quality-wise. And just tell us a little bit about your philosophy on uh, that. Well, the people that know me, they know that I stand for quality. Uh, and so, therefore, we're going to bring that here as well. And there's absolutely no beer that's going to come out of those doors that is not uh, to our satisfaction. Uh, this being said, you have to know a lot. And me, I, I kind of boil it down to this. A lot of people can do what I call taproom fresh. So you go to the taproom, the beer has not been transported, has not moved from point A to point B. It has simply stayed in the system. And uh, people rave about the beer. And then they get very popular. And then the production grows or the demand grows. And now they start pushing their product away from the brewery. And then you realize, well, something happens. It's because when you get to that level, the, the, the amount of minutiae details that had to be looked at, frankly, I think there's a lot of, brewing that have, a lot of brewers that have no clue uh, that they exist. So you have to be so much more careful when you start sending your beer away. And I think that we have the experience here to be able to do that. Well, that obviously comes from your background with all the major brewers that you work for, I guess, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I have no problem to say to this day that uh, what is the highest quality beer in the market? It's Budweiser. And, and it's as simple as saying this. You get a Budweiser that is produced in uh, Montreal or in Fairfield, California, or in Winnipeg, or in Co- um, British Columbia, or in the United or in Europe, and you put them side by side, uh, like I did when I was trained in St. Louis, and you cannot detect anything. They are exactly the same. People will say, "Yeah, but it's so neutral." Yeah, but that's exactly the point. Think about how easy it is to taint a glass of water. It doesn't take much. A little bit of residual soap in your glass and your, your water tastes funny. So because it is very neutral and fairly bland, it makes it even more difficult to make it perfect time and time again. 
And to me, quality is defined by consistency. And, and that's where it lies. And that's one of the things that even critics of, of craft beer talk about, that the overhopped IPAs and the imperial IPAs and the ones with very heavy malty flavors, you know, hide a multitude of sins. And, and when you strip it down, you really can't, you can't play around. You can't, you can't be, you know, you can't, you can't be flip about any of the details. I, I, I clearly remember that, you know, when I joined Boston Beer Company back in 93, moving from the corporate world to something that was a little bit smaller. Um, I was very facetious about uh, seeing, seeing how beer was being produced with a lack of, of attention to details, not because they didn't want to, to pay attention to details, it's because a little bit of, with all due respect, ignorance of if you, you don't know what you don't know. Right, you so don't you don't know, know where to look, or, okay? Yeah. But then, so I was looking at the procedure, very, being very analytical, and conversely, looking at the recipe with an S-load of hops and tons of different specialty malts, and I said, everything is hidden, you know, so it took me a while to kind of appreciate, you know, what you can gain out of playing with the entire spice rack instead of playing only with salt and pepper, uh, but you still have to pay attention to the details, you know, and that's kind of fun. Well, we appreciate your time. We know it's very busy around here. I have one final question. I've asked all the Rouses. I wanted to ask you, what is your, uh, what would your definition of success be for Braxton? I think that it's it's going to be it's going to be defined by our satisfaction of a quality beer that goes to the market. And with this being said, I have absolutely no problem to say now that people will appreciate that. They will appreciate the consistency and the quality of our product. And frankly, you know, to me and the other guy might have mentioned it, me, that's it. Me, I'm done after that. This is, this is my, my sunset. That's his sunrise. He's just starting. He's 22 years old. He's starting his career. Me, this is it after that. So earlier when I was seeing the, the beer being filtered and, and the clarity of the beer, I have to admit I had tears in my eyes, you know, because we worked so hard and on every single little detail. That brew house, you'll never see that brew house again unless, unless our vendor starts, and, and it's highly possible they have already done it, pick some of our little design that we did, you know, so you might find it eventually. But this is our baby. Our baby works very, very well, and it performs, and the beer tastes great, and people will just, will just embrace it. Well, we really appreciate you for your time. Good luck uh, in the opening on the 27th, and uh, congratulations. It's really, you can tell it's been a labor of love. Thank you very much. Right. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right. Thank you very much. see you Thank again. You. Thank you. Uh, wow. Uh, I, uh, there's a lot of gold in that particular uh, 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 interview there with uh, Richard Bay. Uh, I actually I, got chills at certain points of that interview. It was, I, uh, Man. When I mean, it was, was, oh, I, it, the Budweiser talk. I, it was. It was. It, I mean, it sort of was. It was. I had never. That's just an entirely new perspective that I've never considered before. Well, but we've heard and, that before. We've heard that 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 American light lager is the hardest beer to brew. Consistently, there has to be so much attention paid to cleanliness, to the proper temperatures, to the proper aging techniques and all that sort of thing so it's not a surprise to hear him say that but to hear him say it so passionately and then to think 
that that kind of of quality control, if you will, is going to be uh, put to task in a in, in a startup brewery. It's right. going to start being exactly to take that, that concept of you know that attention to detail um, and applying it to something as you know it's. I don't know. I'm, I'm. It's it's refreshing. Like we in craft beer, you see a lot of breweries that are all pumped up about doing one-off beers and barrel-aged this and whiskey this, and, and it's really refreshing to see a brewery that says, "Yeah, we'll do sour beers and we'll do barrel-aged stuff." But you know, the the definition of quality is consistency. They want consistent products that are drinkable. That you know, that 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 are approachable to people who who may may not be ready for a sour beer you know like it's just it's just good quality beer and it's that's well and it sounds like they're ensuring that anyone who walks through that door is going to find something they're going to like and that is how they are going to you know that's how they're going to get people in their doors that's how they're going to get people talking about them and not as you know as if people aren't already talking about them um because of how anticipated they are, but they really are going to gain a following if they can appeal to the non-craft drinker or the new, you know, somebody who's just sort of getting into it. Um, and I think that's a that's an amazing sort of, you know, concept for a business, um, especially a craft brewery, is just to, like, how can we get our product to reach the most people who might not even be interested in it at all? I love their quote of, give me, you know... 15 minutes and an open mind and I'll find the beer that you like. Right. You know, I, I, I love that quote because so many people, you know, will write off a craft brewery, especially, you know, with some of these crazy or beers so, that are out or, there. Yeah, or so many people, you know, that, you know, bartenders or whoever, brewers who work at craft brewery don't necessarily want to take the time right. to, you know, they to kind of, you know, if you get a... A, a person that's like, oh, I don't really know what I want. And, you know, that sort of just kind of, you know, me in the service industry kind of, you know, you kind of get a little bit annoyed and you kind of think, okay, well, right. figure it out or do it, you know. It's, and if you can actually make sure you train your staff to be, to have that kind of as their end goal is to get a non-craft beer drinker to right. drink our beer, then you, that maybe that to me is what success means. That's, <laughs> that's that, what well, success yeah, of Braxton means to me. That's the success of craft beer right. is to mine those those drinkers that think they don't like craft right. beer. Well, and those are the people you need. And, and and as we discussed earlier, that's going to be, I'm almost certain, another antis- another usage and another aspect of the app. It, you're going to be able to look on there. You're going to be able to maybe look at what the color of the beer is. You're going to be able to look at the taste descriptions. You're going to be able to look at, you know, the ABV beyond that the app is it's going to be it's going to be groundbreaking for a brewery it's going to not only you know give you information about beers but when you go in and you drink your cream ale and then you you know you you tell the app how much you liked that beer and then maybe you drink the hop almost like their own version of untapped but smarter than untapped it'll start recommending beers for you that actually make sense not some of the things that Untapped has recommended for me well, in the last week aren't necessarily I, smart well, recommendations. And I, and I think that too is kind of a good way of, you know, the the brewery deciding, you know, what's working and what's not. Mm-hmm. As far as you know, just people think it's innocuous. Oh, I give this beer a 
of three and a half. But then the brewery can actually take that information and figure it out. How can we use this right. to improve our product or to you know reach a different customer base or what have you? What a what an incredible comment to for for Richard Dubay to say. It tears in his eyes as the uh, first filtered cream ale was coming through the sight glass, I suppose, and just really an amazing idea of just how how passionate he is. And, I mean, and you could tell from all the interviews just how passionate those That's, guys are. Yeah. Any, I mean, any beer brewed with a shard's tears, I will drink. <laughs> <laughs> the tears I of mean, Dubay. There's a little, what, tears of faith? Is a, so I think we could, the tears of Dubay might be a, a good good thing for their bomber series when they decide to. Sure, yeah. And you can just tell, that's the thing, that's sort of what, about that interview just got me so excited for this brewery is because you can tell that he loves it and they all love it and it's all just such a labor of love that you know there's no way that things you know can possibly turn out any differently than what they're hoping and expecting and planning yeah. for well i think we've been very fortunate tonight Today earlier, very fortunate to go over there and 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 see. Uh, uh, I did want to. Uh, I would be remiss uh, if I did not thank uh, personally uh, the director of marketing for Braxton Brewing, uh, Mr. Jonathan Gandalf, uh, who, despite as busy I mean there was, there were people staining tables, <laughs> tabletops. There were electricians. There were guys turning the lights on and off. There were pipe pipe fitters. Uh, uh, cutting pipe, which which Jake kindly went over and told them, hey, you guys better knock this off for about the next half hour, take a break. And brewing and sparging and all sorts of things going on over there. So for uh, once again, Jonathan Gandalf, the director of marketing at Braxton Brewing, who was college roommate of, of Jake Rouse, uh, was really instrumental in helping us put together our uh, – our interviews today and was very kind with his time and we'd like to thank all the guys over at Braxton for being so kind with their time today and just giving us some terrific stuff here on what is just our second edition of Cincy Brewcast which I think guys uh, I don't know I'm I'm starting to get nervous here I'm starting to think (laughs) this is a uh, we might be starting to knock some stuff out of the park a little bit yeah just to toot our own horn <laughs> right, and we've got some some really exciting stuff lined up in the next couple of, uh, and we can get to that later if we have any more topics we want to talk about. Um, I know I quickly, just, I, you know, in the interest of time, we'll just go over it pretty quickly. But I just wanted to talk about the um, Cincinnati Enquirer beer survey results that have come out uh, as of today. Ah. Very interesting. Are you uh, privy to this at all? Uh, have you checked this I, out? Or? I read the article. Because uh, I've been sort of, I was in, we were at Braxton for two hours and I was driving to and from Athens. So I really don't, haven't been on top of the social media or any of the stuff going on the, today. Yet. The big asterisk on the article is that one of the um, criteria is that you have to have tried the beer. To, to obviously mm-hmm. to, to rate if you liked it or not. So some of the beers that may have won are the more popular beers that are distributed widely versus some of the stuff. This Opera Cream Stout that I'm drinking right now should be right up there in the top five. It's right. not because it's not widely distributed. And I mean, that's kind of, yeah, and that says it all because out of the top ten that were ranked, um, 
Uh, one, two, five. No, yeah, five were Madri, two were Rheingeist, and then we had a Mount Carmel, a Moorline, and a Hofbrau House. So, I mean, just, you know, when you think about that as far as distribution goes, that's, you know, that's the stuff that you might not have ever had a blank slate opera cream, but you have probably had a psychopathy at your neighbor's barbecue or, right. you know, something like that. And that proves that there's a lot of people in this town that go to Hofbrau House and enjoy the beer, which is totally fine. I do, too. I think it's wonderful stuff. We did hear tonight <laughs> that it's an automated <laughs> system, and it's pretty much they put the stuff in, they push a button, and beer comes out the other end. So you can sort of and they did kind of in draw this, your own conclusions from that. But and in this article, they kind of did kind of a cool little follow up list. Um, oh, what was the Mount Carmel, by the way? I mean, oh, you know, we talked Carmel, about that America's that, favorite that, amber. Our, it was Mount Carmel, Ohio's amber. <laughs> Ohio's amber. Well, we, you know, uh, I mean, that's our. I mean, hey, you know, we, we talked about it. It's our. It's 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 our home brewery, and and it's right down the street from where we produce this program, and 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 so we're always rooting for them. Yeah, and just kind of to give the quick rundown of the top ten, and then I'll kind of go in with their little list that was sort of based on the asterisk of you have to have tried these beers. Um, so we have Rheingeist Truth, Madri Psychopathy, so, you know, the the local kind of the local bigger guys. flagship IPAs. Flagship right? IPAs sure. is, you know, kind of what everybody's into. Uh, next is Madri Happy Amber, Rheingeist Cougar, Madri Gnarly Brown, which I am drinking tonight. Um, and I am drinking almost every night of my life. I love that beer. Um, Mount Carmel Amber. Well, Mad- you better quit drinking it every night. <laughs> <laughs> Please continue. Uh, Mel, Mel Carmel Amber, Mad Tree Lift, Mad Tree Galaxy High, which we enjoyed tonight on the show. Moreline OTR Pale Ale and the Hofbrau House Dunkel. Um, and then, which I love. Yeah. I love I love the Hofbrau House Dunkel. Um, so and then they kind of give That's the they add a few from the local breweries that you know kind of if you have had psychopathy, if you've had truth, or if you're just kind of looking into trying the best of what each brewery has to offer. Um, they tell us about Blank Slate Fork in the Road, um, Listerman Triple Digit Chacao, uh, Rivertown Roebling, which are all just, I think, personally amazing beers, 50 West Coast to Coast, 8-Ball Prodigal. Um, and then we have Great Crescent, Coconut Porter, Cellar Dweller Copperhead, Bad Tom, uh, the Bad Tom Smith Brown, Old Firehouse Proby Porter, the Wiedemann Special Lager, Tap and Screws, Tap and Screws Dr. Cool IPA and Dogberry's Wildfire IPA. Um, and then they s- sort of had a little nice little footnote about Blank Slate in there that's saying, you know, this is particularly noteworthy because they don't distribute, you know, in cans or bottles or anything like that. You can't buy it in the store. Um, and their tap room is so new that kind of them getting this you know, this many people to kind of vote on their the, beer, the that note it's was, really, really... The note was basically everybody that had tried Blank Slate's beer loved Blank Slate's right. beer. There was no... There was I'm no, a big fan of no Fork on the Road. It's, it's a fine, fine <clears throat> ale, and of course we're sitting here tonight drinking the um, drinking the Opera Cream, and it's, it's, it's everything that was advertised, I think, and more. Um, so, so, that's sort of the rundown on that... Uh, I mean, what do you guys think? Do you have any glaring omissions or any kind of? There's uh, there's there's some exciting stuff going on down at Eight Ball that is going to probably start developing in the next couple months. I think that uh, they're one to keep an eye on. Um, I, 
think that they are going to try to get their beer out to more people, and that's fun. Look, it's it, it, it's a landscape that's ever changing. Braxton's coming on this week. Two weeks, uh, Taft is coming online. In a couple of more weeks after that, I think it's uh, it's uh, Urban, Urban Artifact, Artifact is coming to online. Open late April. Um, uh, there's more. You you know you know. There's I'd so have to many more lists. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. staggering at this point. And just sort of what comes to mind is Nine Giant Nine in Pleasant Giant, Ridge, yeah. just because that's you know in my neighborhood. Um, so it's it's exciting, exciting mm-hmm. stuff. Let's talk about uh, our social media. We did. I did have a great uh, uh, tw- uh, tweet. Um, let me. Uh, look on here real quick and while Um, he's looking i'll just kind of share with you guys that um i personally took the facebook page and the instagram page live today um you can find us on facebook by just searching cincy brewcast there will be a an option for you to like the page instagram will be at cincy brewcast we hope to on instagram be posting pictures of what we're drinking kind of what we find out in the out in the landscape and uh that's all I have to say for that. You look like you want to say something. No, go ahead. Continue. <laughs> well, I mean, you talk, you, so you talked about the Facebook? Facebook? Fan page. Fan page. There's also the, because I'm not going to take it down, there's another Facebook page that's Cincy Brewcast uh, that's sort of a more traditional page, which you can friend us and maybe we'll friend you. Uh, so we will we'll continue we'll continue to fool around with that. You said the Instagram. The Instagram is live and ready to go. We have one photo. What is the handle the for that? At Cincy Brewcast. At so Cincy Brewcast. It, luckily, we chose a name that is uh, that nobody has thought of. Untapped. Untapped, untapped. is uh, Cincy Brewcast. Uh, Twitter is at Cincy Brewcast, which re- uh, Noam tweeted out tonight on on uh, on Brewcast. Uh, at Cincy Brewcast. Uh, episode 2 is in session, but not without some technical difficulties. Our recorder may be possessed. That was uh, me. Oh, was that no. you? Yeah. Okay, that was... Uh, that was uh, I'm, trying I'm, to, he's at, trying to give you credit at, for I'm my beautiful hat. tweet. <laughs> and then, <laughs> uh, and then uh, I put put out... Um, uh, and Mikey, at Mikey, Mikey underscore sis, and at Dingo's 8 my uh, both favorited that. And then I put out... Recorder repossessed. <laughs> We're back in business. We took it back. And uh, both of those guys uh, at Dingo's underscore eight my and at Mikey's underscore sis both favorited that. So we appreciate guys uh, listening to us or uh, keeping a, keeping an eye on our Twitter feed. Uh, uh, I did. Uh, I I think we did in the earlier portion, but I we we did not this time. And I'll and if we did, I'll reiterate it. Uh, uh, Chris Camboris. Uh, was unable to join us tonight in the promo. I said he would be telling us what's going on in the brew house. He is still in the brew house uh, <laughs> up the street at Mount Carmel Brewing. As we mentioned earlier, uh, we're right up, right up the street from them. So uh, he was unable to join us tonight. Fortunately, we had a lot of this good stuff from uh, Braxton and had a lot of, um, had a lot of fodder, uh, uh, sort of grist for the mill, if you will. Uh, anything else? Anybody want to wrap up anything Discussion Stay tuned next week. I am waiting on the, if you are listening, Jared Hamilton, I am waiting on the Facebook reply. Um, I ran into our friend Jared, who is the assistant brewer at Taft Ale House on Thursday. I asked him to come on for next Monday. He said yes. I'm Like I said, I'm just waiting for that confirmation message back um, that I sent today. 
So Jared, if you're listening, text me back. If you listen to the promo, <laughs> if you listen to the promo, he's the old friend. He is the old friend bearing, bearing gifts. gifts. He did yes. say, he did mention that he would bring some Taft beers for us to try out. Um, you know, for the beer fridge. So and you had one. That you dear God, with. please, the, the key lime wheat. <laughs> yeah, Jared, if so, you're listening, the key lime wheat, please. So, so we're really looking forward to. We've known Jared, you know, since he was brewing at Mount Carmel. Um, definitely, kind of a, a very good friend of ours. We really like him a lot, and he's got a lot of nice things to say about Taft and about just brewing in general. So he's going to be a really good guest, and I'm really looking forward to talking with him. If that's not enough sucking up, Jared, to come on the show. <laughs> and I will say, I will say simply that uh, I know a lot of people are probably wondering why we're, we weren't drinking any Braxton beer, and I think it was pretty obvious that they had were producing the beer as we spoke today, and producing the beer now as we speak. So you can rest assured that uh, I was invited. Uh, to to go Friday night, you can rest assured that I will be bringing home some Braxton beer, and and we will be trying it in the very near future on this program. So you can you can uh, you can count on us to give you the unbiased opinion and the uh, and the and the straight poop on the uh, on the the offering, at least one offering, I'm sure, and maybe more from Braxton Brewing. So I I signed up for the the VIP tour on Friday. Where you get at the end of the night a growler as part of the the package deal. So I already have my growler of the balloon gasket ordered. Um, so unless my wife drinks it all um, <laughs> Saturday or Sunday, when I go, just do that, give him a text, send a Jonathan Jonathan Gandalf again, probably a text or something. Hey, we're on our way. I hope you hope you got some room for us, and uh, hopefully, uh, and you know, I, uh, you know. I'll definitely get a growl. If you're bringing that, I'll bring the cream ale. How's that sound? Sounds like a deal. Or no, I'll bring the cream ale because I'm telling you, it was it was mouthwatering the way those guys are describing <laughs> describing that beer. They are that's really they are, it they sounds are like both both very very high on that beer, and it sounds like it's going to be really something something to try, something we've never really had around here before. Is a, yeah. Is a beer like yeah, that. that's so, going to be really interesting because I don't know so. if I will have much. To compare it to, I know I've had cream ales in maybe the past. I'll, maybe but... I'll bring some Little Kings, too. <laughs> <There you> go. <laughs> well, there with you. that bombshell, uh, we'd like to thank everybody for listening. Remember, Twitter, at Cincy Brewcast, Cincy Brewcast Facebook page, fan page on Facebook, uh, Cincy Brewcast on tap. Let us know what you're drinking. And uh, at Cincy Brewcast on Instagram. Uh, thank you, Gnome. TheGnarlyGnome.com. TheGnarlyGnome.com. Tina. Uh, hey, I, I work at Oakley Pub and Grill five days this week, so if you're down there, come uh, say hi to me. I'll give you a nice, I'll make a nice beer recommendation for you. Um, and of course, uh, I'm Mike Cisneros at Big MRCIS on Twitter. Uh, I post a lot of the Cincy Brewcraft, uh, Brewcraft, uh, Cincy Brewcast stuff on there, and uh, we'll see you next time. You've been listening to Cincy Brewcast.